Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Liz Hand, and Liz and I met recently, but we instantly connected on helping people through the financial planning process and not necessarily just about what should go in their investment portfolio or the best tax strategy, but something at a much deeper level. And that's what I'm so excited to have her here to talk about is her own journey with money, with getting to the deeper heart of what's really going on with people and money. And so Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're a financial planner. Tell people a little bit about yourself, your story about how you got to be a financial planner. Mm-hmm. I am one of the rare people who decided to become a financial planner from a very early age. I actually decided in my eighth grade year because my dad had been an investment advisor and brought me into his office one summer to help me to have me help him organize, you know, do some filing, do some shredding, basic office stuff. But he let me sit in on one meeting with a client. And I just saw the ways that money wove in and out of our personal lives. And I was hooked. And he said, you know, there's not that many women in the industry. And you'd be really good at this. Um, you should consider it. And so I kind of took his word and um. started learning business and went to school for finance and then joined his practice right after college. Wow. What do you remember from that first client meeting in eighth grade? I mean, obviously protecting confidentiality and all that stuff, but like, yeah, things even out. But what was it that you heard that just like really stood out to you? I think what was impressed upon me is that it wasn't a linear conversation. Not that I would have been able to define that as an eighth grader, but that it wove in and out. So you talk about the kids and then you talk about uh, career and then you talk about goals and then you talk about mom who's not doing well and then it just bounces and builds from there and it it made me see how much you can support a human being in their life journey through the lens of money <laughs> already i'm just blown away i'm like it's so cool i just love the way that you frame things and think <laughs> about it and just that you know there's an orientation in some part of the financial planning community where it's like we're gonna have an agenda we're going to run it like a business meeting and we're going to go through this point and we're staying on this point until we're done. And then we're going to go to this point and then we're going to so on and so forth. And really what you're offering is this completely other paradigm that feels very familiar to me as a therapist, which is we're going to show up, we're going to meet. I don't have an agenda except for to be here and be with you. Uh-huh. And we'll make the most out of the time as it's here. Right. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're describing is, there's another way of being with clients in the financial planning process. And it doesn't have to be this structured agenda focused meeting. It can be dynamic and weave between the different elements of a person's life. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I think there's so much available in the conversation when a person, a client is sitting at the table with you or virtually and feels comfortable enough to go to take the conversation to their hopes or their thoughts or this consideration that they had or this place that they've been awake late at night thinking about. To me, it's, it's, it's almost sacred. It is sacred because it's like meeting, meeting the other person exactly where they are without having to start from the place of investments, but really like, what's going on in your life? Are you considering anything new lately? You know, those kinds of things. You know, I think you have, you're not a formal trained therapist as far as I know. Nope. But you, you sound exactly like a formally trained therapist. Like, That's hilarious. <laughs> meet them where they're at and just start from there, wherever it is. Uh-huh. And I think that that's one of the challenges in what like gets so many people disconnected in the planning process is the planner brings the agenda and like, this is what we need to talk about. And then we're going to talk about this and we're going to do it in my order. <clears throat> and really it's weird we're proposing this alternative paradigm where as a planner, sure, we know all the major topics that need to be covered. And we're going to make sure we get them covered, but it's going to be on a timeline that works for you and in your pace and way, not mine. Is that kind of what you're describing? Yeah, I think where I, you know, I've shifted my practice quite a bit over the last couple of years. And there's this thought that I've clung to that there is no such thing as competition. So I don't need to prove myself versus another advisor. I need to show up as authentically as possible because what I'm uh offering is trust a very mm. trustworthy presence where if you find that you are fully settled with me in that initial couple of conversations while we're figuring out if we're a good fit for each other if you feel so able to reveal all the cards then your financial plan is going to go a lot further than if i'm telling you all of the services that i offer and the ways that i can strategize your Roth IRA or no, you know, whatever the little technical pieces are. Right, um, right. I am more seeking a good fit with the client that allows them to have that open and candid conversation. So and I just want to share this because I know already, I know this to be true. Like the settled with, with Liz that you're talking about. So y'all, you don't know this because you didn't hear this part of the conversation, but before Liz and I started recording, I asked her, okay, so what do you want to accomplish today? What do you, what's the message you want to get across? And she kind of looked at me like, what do you, what do you mean? And I was like, you know, I mean the message, you know, so we're having this little back and forth, but as now we're in the live conversation, the listeners you're hearing, you're really hearing this comes authentically from who Liz is, is I just want to show up to the relationship and be fully present and trust that whatever comes out is what needs to come out. No agenda, just the enjoyment of a great conversation and being the presence of another human. That's awesome. I can see why yeah. your clients would absolutely love working with you. Now, you've done some additional training to really kind of keep cultivating this. And I think you're talking about this philosophy uh-huh. switch that there is no real competition. I just need to show up trustworthy. Uh-huh. Ontological coaching, right? Well, that uh, there is no such thing as competition came from my formal training with YouTube. I have a YouTube channel and when I was learning how to make video and learning like how to get my video posted and listening to all the voices, they were like, just remember, there's no such thing as competition and there's nobody that has your voice. And so remember that your voice resonates with certain people 
And you can trust that as you build this SEO-driven yeah. strategy. I mean, blah, blah, blah. But so that's where that first <laughs> seed was planted. It. And since I have taken that on as truth, my whole life has shifted. And it did draw me down the line towards ontological coaching, which I was formally trained in. Um, and I'm working towards my ACC accreditation through um, the International Coaching Federation. But yeah. Wait, so you, the school of YouTube taught you there's no competition. It, uh -huh. Did you even know ontological coaching was a thing at the time that you learned about that? Oh, no, no. No, no. Yeah. But this is all unfolded for you, what you're saying in the last couple of years, two, three years? Well, to be fair, before financial therapy was a thing, oh. um, when I was doing my undergrad, I had this amazing professor who encouraged me to drop my accounting minor and do counseling instead. And oh. that, or psychology. And so that was eye-opening as well, because I just loved that client. Like, that's what I was seeking. So yes. it's kind of been woven in throughout um, an unfurling journey, as they say. <laughs> the yes, definitely. Well, there's, and you know, it, what's so funny for me is I didn't come to psychology until after I earned my MBA. And so, like, what I, I'll never fully know or understand is what it's like to get undergrad psychology courses. Uh, uh -huh. So let me in. Like, what's an undergrad college psych course like? What do you? Yeah. Um. You know, it's been so so long. I remember, you know, learning about Freud and learning about um, Gestalt theory, just like some of the basics. But the yeah. the course that impacted me the most was a counseling course, where uh. we had to, um, as part of their training. And part of our testing, we had to um, exhibit the behaviors of what it would be to be a counselor. And so that's really good listening, watching yeah. watching your fidgeting so that you're totally present with them and not transmitting anything. Um, right. Holding a straight face when they yeah. say something crazy, which, you know, these are college students that you're um, <laughs> right. counseling in your classroom and they're trying to get you to smirk. And so the right. things people would say would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, human. <laughs> um, yes, right, right. But like hold the straight face and continue the listening no, skills we that not. you have been trained in. But yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. So you have, you do have the training as a therapist. There it is. Like that. Like, but I guess so. I hadn't considered it. Well, for whatever it's worth, it's there. It's clear. Like that's that counseling 101 class that we all go through. But I think for the listeners is this is an ongoing journey of exploration and unfolding and these different threads are coming together. And, you know, now you get to work with clients in the financial planning process, continuing to integrate this now ontological coaching. So that's really where I'd like to go is how is that training continuing to evolve and expand the way that you think about financial planning and helping people through, you know, what I would call the stuck points. Uh -huh. But, you know, there's a number of words we can use to describe financial planning not working. But how is ontological coaching helping you to continue to deepen that process of people really engaging with their finances? I think for me, it's been 
taking it a layer deeper with curiosity and not being mm. scared at what I find. So for example, we have a spring review season and a fall review season. And I want to say this was a year ago in the spring. It doesn't really matter, but I, I created this little coaching sheet of sorts that was like, uh-huh. rate your family, rate your joy, rate your connection to community, rate your uh, five different areas for them to do. And then I had them circle um, what words they most associated with their money right now. Uh-huh. And then I had them list their top three money concerns. So it was, it felt, I felt kind of clinical in it, but I would have my assistant place right. the, the questionnaire in front of them. Um, yeah. and I would wait five minutes to go into the room so they would fill it out. And it, it brought up such good conversation, especially like post COVID because uh-huh. you'd have someone who wasn't feeling as in step with their community. And why is that? Oh, well, my church dynamics have shifted and I don't really know if this is a place that I want to stay. Okay. What does that mean? Continue a different conversation than the typical what's going on in life right now. Um, but I had one client that I walked into the room and they were like, I'm not filling out that stupid questionnaire. They probably didn't use the word stupid. Let's be real. I interpreted it as stupid <laughs> moment. My typical response, had I not gone through the coach training, was to say, like, they thought this was stupid. It was stupid. I, this is so awkward. I'm I'm all these things. The worst things that I think about. I, I'm all of those things right now. And then that meeting would have been triggered. I would have probably cut it short. I would have. But what it was, was this client's daughter had passed away and I didn't get the message. And so like how how much contrast is there to be like, rate your satisfaction with your family, rate your satisfaction with your community. Like yeah. it's just totally inappropriate. So I was able to to stay present in that moment and say, oh, totally fine that you didn't want to fill out that questionnaire. What's up? And yeah. that conversation went a completely different direction. Um, right. Not only because of the contrast that I brought up just by having the questionnaire there, but taking it that next step and really seeing what was what was stirred up for them. It's so amazing. It's kind of the words that are coming to mind is like you rolled with the punches, right? Like your general process is to have these types of self-reflective questions and people sit with them before you come in. And I, it sounds like the lion's share people will fill it out and then you have a kind of more of a heartwarming conversation. Maybe there's a little top point here or there. But with this particular uh-huh. client, like you didn't, you missed the memo. They just uh-huh. lost a kid and they, did, they want to fill it out. And yet you still had, a, it sounds like a rolled right into a very robust conversation about them losing their daughter and what that means to them. Uh-huh. And just, I think it's, yeah, it's that like agenda with no agenda kind of, these are my, my ideas uh-huh. so I don't know for you, but. Yeah. And with that particular situation, not that I'll disclose too much about it, but um, the whole conversation around their investments wasn't a conversation around their investments. It was, what's the liability if a daughter's estranged husband comes back? Can they claim this? Like, what's the consequences? What do I need to prepare myself for? It was not like, how's my investment performing today, Liz? Right, um, right. So being ready to pivot conversation the way that they need to. And just with the training of a financial planning background where you can go into those different areas, not that you're the expert in estate planning or tax right. planning, 
you can speak to it enough to to calm some of those fears that they have as to keep them moving the right direction that they desire for their life. Well, it sounds like, you know, I really appreciate this example on protecting the client's confidentiality, but that there was the concern about the safety of the assets and there's kind of a psychological and there's a legal practical question that are interwoven, uh-huh. right? What yeah. do I do if this estranged family member comes for this? Uh-huh. Relationally, psychologically, but also practically, are they protected? And that's where that knowledge uh-huh. and ability to show up and acknowledge both the psychological element as well as the legal practical it's so, so important because I think that's, you know, what a lot of clients and my experience have missed in conventional financial planning is they get a lot of the practical legal answers, but not a lot of like the psychological support and acknowledgement, empathy, even for what they're feeling and anticipating. So, uh-huh. wow. Yeah. What I often, I find that the clients I resonate the most with have been in some sort of transition or have experienced some sort of loss in life, yeah. whether I, I typically work with women in retirement. They can be coupled, they can be single, um, but they've experienced some sort of loss, whether that's loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, yeah. loss of their job and their identity therein. Um, yeah. And the image I get when I'm working with them is just like fog or fuzziness all around mm-hmm. them. And they're like, who am I after this, this thing has shifted in my life? I don't know. I can't tell. And so for me to come in with, what are your financial goals right now? Seems so off base because, <laughs> Lord, yeah. because it's like, they, they can't even see where they are today. So can we just slow down and get clarity on where we are today? And then perhaps they'll be ready another time to talk about the future, the goals, et cetera. You know, there's, for me, it's so profound and so clear is unless we're in relatively stable sense of self and mental health, goal setting is not relevant, right? If we're struggling through grief or depression or anxiety or trauma, goal setting is not the goal, right? Outside of like working through that, that's the goal. Because the, the clarity of mind to make decisions about where to go are contingent on having a kind of a clear sense of who I am. And if I'm in a transition where I don't really know who I am anymore, we've got to sort through that before we can set goals. And I think that that's where there can be a lot of shame that shows up for folks is they feel like, well, it's financial planning. i got to set my goals. i got to review my goals. And it's like, hell, I don't even know if my goals are relevant anymore. Like. I've got to spend some time sorting out who am I now after this transition, whether it be divorce or death being two of the big ones, right? Uh-huh. And, and job loss identity, especially for women that haven't had um, a parent, a, a mom necessarily that has gone through the full working career, stepped out and just figuring out who they are in retirement. So that's, it's a different form of loss, but yes. Oh, I really appreciate you. And what's interesting to hear you say is that that from that modeling perspective, if you were the first generation of a career, I'm assuming you're saying like kind of a career woman, but you didn't have your mother uh-huh. go through that journey of being a career woman and then leaving her career and, and navigating that identity transition. Who are your uh-huh. role models for that? 
right? Is that what you're kind of getting at? Yes. Yeah. So if we camp out here a little bit, how do uh, single women navigate that and how do partnered women navigate that from your perspective? I would say for single women, there is more of that conversation present in my meeting because I am their thinking partner. I'm the person that represents what they don't have elsewhere. The full disclosure, the ability to talk about not only the money, but the, the feeling. They perhaps can talk about that, that loss with a friend group who is also going through the process. But because retirement is so staggered, between friends it's not like they're all retiring on the same day Uh you can have people who are six months out from retirement that are like rah rah so happy for you go drink those mai tais on the beach and you're like you know what this doesn't feel like a party to me this actually feels more like a funeral than a beach vacation thank you very much um so yeah oh yeah you're welcome for that imagery i i i am dying on that energy i love it because i know it's so true and Sorry for anybody that's listening and then going through that painful reality that I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at the situation. Like you, I'm laughing at the just the analogy and the imagery is just profound. And you know, to sidebar just a moment, I think when we can get those really clear, simple metaphorical images, it actually has a profound effect on helping us make sense out of what's going on, right? And so, yes. yeah, we can make complex explanations about the psychological transition from working into retirement, blah, 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 blah. But in like 10 seconds, you described exactly what's going on, like symbolically. And it's like that. And that was really what evoked the laughter is like, yeah, you got all your friends saying like, hey, let's drink Mai Tais. Let's party. And Uh you're like, I feel like I'm getting ready to go to a funeral or I'm at a funeral. Like, yeah. And so that, that emotional attunement to it. And maybe the safe space for the clients to not have to be any particular way. They can just be how they actually are about the scenario where our friends often want us to be happy and celebratory and, uh-huh. and you know it's like and they're well-intended friends but like, uh-huh. they're missing the point uh-huh. yeah sometimes the friends cannot hang with the the feeling of loss the feeling of sorrow the feeling of tragedy uh they just want to like cover over it with okay then let's go kind of marking over it it is, yeah, and I, I know with my years of experience in therapy that that's that is part of the the getting stuck in the psychological suffering is no one's willing to see the psychological suffering and pain, which uh-huh. is its own invalidation and leaves us locked into it. And paradoxically, what alleviates psychological suffering is being seen in it and acknowledged and mirrored uh-huh. for what it is to you. That actually helps you move through it faster than trying to cover it over. So, yeah, huge. I love this topic and just, you know, it, it is tough to, to be able to do that, but man, it's so valuable. Perfect. So, as you, I mean, you have the benefit of working with clients over a long period of time and you meet them in these challenging transition period times. And what do you see happen for them, not just in the weeks that you start together, but probably over the years as you get a chance to really work with them and help them? through these big transitions to the other side what do you what do you see changing about them and i think for anybody that's listening that's in that state of transition and saying yeah i feel like i'm more at a funeral and less at a mai tai party where's the hope on the other side of that what what do you watch happen as as they work through this um 
I think what I often see is it feels like at first we're just acknowledging, just just as you were saying, acknowledging the place where it's uncomfortable, creating sm- some space for what could you possibly desire in this retirement that you have? Do you have a couple of ideas there? Um, but then over time, it's it's the repeated conversation coming back to like, what what's drawing you forward in retirement? So it's like a pinprick of light that that continues to grow over time so that they can get that vision of, oh yeah, this is the thing that actually makes me happy. Um, and de- depending on how much loss they've had as they're stepping into retirement, um, that might take a couple of, I don't know, years. I don't want to really want to put a time to it because it is what it is, but- It has its own time, but- Yeah. But, you know, if I am if I am managing multiple losses at one time where it's loss of my job and my identity, loss of a parent and loss of a spouse at the same time, um, you've got a lot of expectations you had in life that are will no longer be. And so just giving more time for that to surface. And I'll say that my sessions with my clients I don't go too far into the past. I think that's the coach training is, and the distinction there that right. perhaps your your sessions would look a little bit different in that. Sure. Um, so where, where the past is helpful, we bring it in. But I'm often looking for the areas where there is fuzziness or what I actually see it as is like trails of something seeping uh-huh. into our in, into today that's something from the past. Um, that could possibly be completed. Maybe it's a a desire that they had or a job endeavor that they decided not to go into. Um, that there's maybe a little bit of regret or remorse that pops up. That's really what I'm looking for, regret and remorse. And then yeah. talking through that, giving it some space, letting it clear so that it creates, it makes room for that pinprick of light to just continue to grow that vision that they have for what they want to carry forth in retirement. So, um, yeah, I see people pretty confused at the beginning of our conversations. Um, and my favorite part is where it turns and they're energized and they're coming to our review and they're just happy. And it's fun to see that transition over time. It's almost like watching um, a flower bloom, right? In the sense of like, it's coming out of the stalk and it's budding through a little bit and like, there's only so much you can rush that process. I mean, you really can't. You can there's only you can do things to support it blooming, but really the person has to bloom kind of on their own time and in their own way and in their own unique flower. Um, and has- so, but being able to see someone bloom again, man, that's incredible stuff. Okay, uh-huh. right? that's kind of I think yeah. you talked about the sacred work. Like this is sacred work. For those that that live and think uh-huh. at that level, this is the layers of meaning built into the financial planning process are profound. Uh-huh. If, if you want to go there, then and you and I both like to go there. We want to go from the very practical to like, hey, how much money are you spending in this category? Oh, uh-huh. by the way, let's take that deep and say, is that fulfilling a deep need for you? Uh-huh. To what is the ultimate meaning and purpose of your life? Perhaps. Uh-huh. And everything in between that, it, it's all interconnected. So let's get in there and have some fun with it. Yeah. That, that's my words, at least. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. I had a session with someone and we were talking about meaning and their retirement. And one of the spouses was like, I did not come here for a counseling session. And (laughs) hanging in that conversation was like, I guess it was evidence of me doing my work personally because (laughs) I chose, we took a little break so that both of us would have some room and I I was working that session with another person um, and that person was able to talk about some things and then we circled back and I brought back to the table like, this doesn't have to go that deep. I wasn't intending it to, to take it the direction that it sounds like you may have taken it. I'm looking at your future and what it is that we're building, how we can integrate and get you more energized about what's to come and you know i can back off too that's as it pertains to my practice i i am not a financial therapist (laughs) and so people are not coming for that level of depth necessarily but if the conversation goes that way i will follow it and and take the take it down that trail yeah no i think right and that's kind of the honor and respecting where people are at I think you're right on is, you know, we're at different places. We have different needs, um, willingness to go there. And I mean, the last thing I want to do is be rigid and dogmatic about what has to happen or how it has yeah. to happen. Like that feels very incongruent. So, um, you know, yeah. Wow. One ninja trick I like to pull with clients <laughs> When you were talking about the flower unfolding and not rushing the process, yes. And sometimes I like to do this little ninja trick where someone has said, I want to retire. And you're like, great. And then they say, if you can show me that I would retire tomorrow, I will retire tomorrow. And then you show them that they can retire tomorrow. And they're like, ah, you know, I think I might wait another 18 months. Like that's, I love that conversation. Because I basically said, sky's the limit. And they're like, yeah, actually, I'd like to go back to this job that I just complained about for like 15 minutes and how tired I was with from it. So <laughs> a ninja trick that I like to do is when that type of scenario comes up, I talk about like the chicken or the egg and how there's a way that you're kind of waiting for something to happen with your money as to make the decision to retire. And I don't know how to start getting you your retirement income. Yeah. which is where most of my conversation lands with people is retirement income until you tell me. So what if we just started a trickle of that retirement income and you just start feeling how it feels and, you know, we can just put it in your bank account and uh, then you can decide what to do from there. And it it, it does al- give them that allowing that maybe they're withholding from themselves to more fully embrace their retirement or potentially more fully spend in their retirement if they tend to be more of a um, 
penny pincher, as we in the med- Midwest tend to be. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think on on the whole, financial planning clients tend to be more the penny pincher types. I don't know if that's your sense or not, but that's right. Like they they want to make their dollar go a long ways, and they're they're willing to some extent to pay to have someone help them do that. Uh, not not all of them, right? I think I want to actually come back to this retirement transition. The unique thing about being a financial planner is we have the software and the knowledge to run the projections to come up with reasonable answers to, can I retire yet? Perhaps. Right? And so we have that data. It's our job to help our clients look at it. But what you're adding is that meaning-making process, right? And that, Perhaps. oh, so you're saying you're ready to retire. And they give you, well, what would, can I retire tomorrow? And you're like, here you go. Yes, you could. You ready to do it? We'll start making withdrawals today if you want. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, wait, hold on. <laughs> and But that idea of shifting from earning earning income to taking distributions uh-huh. is a big deal for a lot of folks, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have, over time, shifted our practice so that we're only working in that decumulation phase where we're taking money out of our practice. Uh-huh. Um it's not 100%, but that's more and more where we're going. Um, and it's so fascinating to me. I think, you know, the way that we relate to our money is the way we can relate to ourselves. I don't know if that's true across the board, but um, oh, yeah. definitely seen evidence of it. And so if I have, over my entire career, built up a healthy retirement account. And then I decide I want to relieve my time and do whatever I want. And oh, by the way, I'm going to start pulling from this account that Mm -hmm. like the way that people withhold that from themselves as if it's dangerous to withdraw from that account um, is fascinating to me. And so I also try to bridge that piece of how would I say it? Well, I kind of talk about that as their Midwestern money mindset. I don't know if I mentioned that to you before or not, but I don't think so. I haven't like fully formed out this framework, but the idea is that you know, coming from a farming background, which a lot of my clients have, I come from an Amish and Mennonite background, like farming is a big deal. Right. So you a generational, um, habitual ways of dealing with money that have to oh, do yeah. with a time and space and, and job title that um, are dependent upon the weather. And so you're always saving, 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 saving as to keep from, to have some in case of the rainy day or right. in case you need seed money next year, et cetera, et cetera. And so that idea of a of a farmer deciding to retire just for the fun of it, like wasn't a thing. Wasn't right, a thing. right. Not a concept. Yes, because... As long as you have animals, you're not retiring. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, right? Um, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, that construct worked for a really long time, really well to help preserve our society in the way that it is today. And also, yeah. we have pretty predictable income and pretty poor clients who have done the work of savings over time. Um, right. They're able to pull from that in a way that generationally would not have been acceptable. Acceptable or possible, right? Like, so we're getting into like the economic system that we live in now, the financial instruments that we have now, the knowledge we have all come together to say like, we can have a dust bowl and you're still going to have money. Uh-huh. And yeah. that like is a big concept when you've lived in this 
like celebrating a bumper harvest, but also knowing like next season could be the shits. Right. So don't get too excited. Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I really love this. I really love thinking about the impacts of how our different career choices shape our financial expectations. Right. And like mm, what yeah. we can count on or can't count on. I've been having some conversations recently reflecting on like how me when I was a firefighter, like what were my financial expectations? And like yeah. there was a window there, there was a certain type of predictability, but there's also like a I know I'll never make more than this as a firefighter. And so the question became, well, is that what you want your top to be and the time to get there? Uh-huh. And if not, then you got to go do something else. And that's a transition, right? So kind of every career or profession has its own set of financial expectations baked into it in way of relating to money. Yeah. And yet then we all arrive at this retirement age and it's different than whatever our profession has taught us about how money works in some ways. That is fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, no wonder, right? It's like humans, we, we come to count on habits for making life a little easier, more predictable, smoother. And yet those same habits that support us in one season of life can almost kind of be par- uh, paradoxically counterproductive in the next uh-huh. season of life. Uh-huh. That's why, you know, going back to that trust that you build and the good fit that you have with the advisor so that you can have all cards on the table and not be holding a couple to your chest um, actually spurs your financial plan much further than simply going for an engagement that's um, strictly by the numbers. Hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned you shared that you come from an Amish Mennonite background. Okay. Would you mind sharing a little bit about like how that shapes the way you think about financial planning? I'm always, and respectfully, like I'm very curious about people's religious histories and how that, yeah. like their journey with religion and then their journey with religion and money. Like that's just the whole, so I didn't disclose that in advance that that's a curiosity that I realize it's a sensitive topic, but it's all good. Um, if you're comfortable sharing a little bit about that, I'd love to to open that up. Yeah, so this is one area that I'm looking at right now uh, as far as like a financial block or even just a communal, like in my career, a block uh-huh. there. Um, Amish Mennonites are very community oriented. If you think about the proverbial barn raising, which I've never participated in. It's a thing, but it's not a thing you've done. Correct. Uh-huh. Um, Something bad happens, the whole community wraps around it in one day a barn is built. And that family right. is back up to thriving. The, the, your place in a community is one where, especially for women, like, don't rock the boat. Don't uh-huh. be too high. In Pennsylvania, that's just hoke. I don't speak Pennsylvania, but I know that word. Hoke means yeah. high, like, um, high and mighty kind of a thing. Or huh? elevated above the community. Like, don't see yourself as above or better than somebody else in the community. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And also don't be too needy. Like there's a there's a place where you have to hold yourself in this place of perfection, not only in the way that people experience you, but in the the wealth that you have. And of course there are Mennonites and Amish folk that have, you know, made lots of wealth in that time period. But for me, what I've noticed is that there's a way that I'm waiting for the community whoever that is, yeah. it's actually not my church 
community. Uh, And I still attend a Mennonite church. It's this uh, invisible, unnamed, I don't know who it is, but it's this community, quote unquote, that I'm waiting for their permission for me to step up and be able to be seen as a woman in Mm -hmm. business Mm -hmm. instead of at home caretaking my children. And also like the levels of income that I've derived have hit hit a wall at the top or a ceiling, I guess, of my limitation. So I'm just looking at all of that and seeing like, can I just let go of the fear that I will be cast out of the community if my life changes, if my voice becomes like really well known, or if um, my husband and I have a fairly role flipped marriage and he just recently stepped out of his work full-time to be full-time dad. Can I accept my place in society where I allow my husband to follow that dream of his and I allow myself to follow a career dream? So all of those things. I am so moved and so grateful for your vulnerability and willingness to share that because I, I know there's so many pieces of that that resonate deeply for me in my own journey with money. And I know just in talking with people, like this is where a lot of us live. We're Uh in this journey with our own religious, cultural um, learnings towards figuring out who am I and who can I really be without that communal rejection, whoever that, you Uh know, the invisible community that we know exists, right? Uh And that's, it's really a, it's a challenging and psychologically stressful place to be. Um, And I think it's, you know, kind of what's that old metaphor of, um, the caterpillar having to break through its cocoon and unfold its wings uh-huh. in order for it to truly fly. And it's like, you know, I think sometimes we just want someone to rip the whole cocoon wide open for like do it for us so we can just be free. Right. Like there's uh-huh. some part of me, like, as I was hearing that, I was like, I just want to be like, Liz, you're free. You can do it. And I was like, oh, uh, well, that's like nice. Thanks, Ed. But that doesn't actually help me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Cause I won't actually trust it. Right, right. Well, it's because it's it's got to come from inside of you. It's your own journey and coming yeah. to. But that I really appreciate one part that I really appreciate is that naming of. And I think this is where a lot of people get stuck on their journey with money and wealth and money and relationship goals and expectations. Is we're communal creatures. Uh-huh. From my perspective, I don't care what religious community you're from. Uh-huh. As humans, we are communal creatures. And we don't do well when we get exiled. Sorry. We need community belonging. Uh-huh. Right? Like rebels even have their own cold code gangs. Like they, you know, they're the rejects that then join with a whole community and form their own community. And then they have their own system of belonging that if you don't participate in, you get rejected from. So like air quote virtuous communities versus air quote non-virtuous communities end up functioning very much the same way, at least as far as I can tell. And as humans, we have this need for belonging and connection. And yet, if we start to function too differently than the community norms, are we jeopardizing our standing in that community? Yeah, man, it's just, you can tell like this gets me super like jazzed, but also, yeah. Well, and I think, when you said that, it reminded me of like the spark within me that does financial planning for women in retirement alone. It's like, 
depending on what the loss is, they may feel like they no longer fit in a certain community that they have because I was a couple and now I'm a single. And so where am I going to sit at this couple's gathering? Where am I going to go after church or whatever it is? Um, And that place of allowing them to be known and seen is so important to me, Um, especially when they haven't um, been the primary financial lead, you know, like they may be Mm -hmm. doing the budgeting piece, but as far as investments goes, they may not have engaged in that conversation. So they feel completely foreign and yet they have this weight of making decisions with their money. Um, So just to be able to meet them exactly there, uh, a lot of times, you know, I feel like a fish out of water with the financial planning community because I have shaped my language so much differently that when I go back to meet these clients where they are and be like, oh, yeah, we can talk about this in picture form instead of, you know, I, like I use a lot of um, metaphors and analogies in my language instead of saying like the true technical word. Uh, and right. so I find when I go back to the advisor community and I try to like retranslate myself, it's difficult. And how, how interesting, how interesting, how many times in that conversation did I talk about belonging? Like, she doesn't feel like she belongs there. And so I'm trying to create belonging within my firm. But oh, by the way, I don't feel like I belong in financial planning because I speak a little bit differently. Oh, but now I found Ed. So we're fine. I've got my people. I can belong again. You know, <laughs> like it's so inherent. So I love that you said that because it all comes back to it. Yeah. I mean, I, wow. This is, I mean, I, this is why I knew the conversation would be good. It's just, belonging for me like i've grown into this place of deep appreciation for belonging is the essence of being Uh, and that you know in our individualistic society where the individual is the prized status i'm not eschewing or saying no we can't be our own individuals and unique but it's like at the end of the day we're still communal people like And so how do we create community that allows individuality, both and not either or? And, you know, this is, you know, we're social creatures and living in in the States, especially, man, we see all kinds of different ways people are living. And, uh, you know, curiosity is part of our psychological makeup, too. Uh And you can't help but be curious when you encounter very different ways of being. And you're like, Uh oh, that's a way of doing things? Whoa. Right. And sometimes it's all I wonder, sometimes it's utter disgust, but either way, it's like, we know there's a lot of different ways of living. And, and I want to, I do want to come back around to something that I really want to pay attention to because I've seen it with so many couples and there's, it's my perception and understanding women may be able to, may manage the household budget, but now may not have the psychological authority over what happens with the budget. Uh-huh. Right? Like that, that's a very, seems to be a very common dynamic is the husband is kind of dictating from on high this is how much money you can spend on the kids this is how much money you can spend on food Mm. this is so while she's doing the shopping and buying she's been told this is how much money you have to do that Uh but she's not being included in the bigger conversation about the investing about the total Uh household income and there's this massive power differential and uh before I go too far on my soapbox and get all angry about it, I'm just going to take a deep breath. But 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, part of my journey and reconciliation amongst the genders is around this financial intimacy that you're partners of equal value and worth capability that you both have a shared financial responsibility together. How you allocate responsibility is a, you know, is up to the couple, but like you're in this together uh-huh. and, and uh-huh. you're both of equal value and status in that relationship. You know, so anyway, that's a, a personal value and, and tyrant. So, well, yeah. And to the listeners who find themselves in that situation and feeling that like angst of like, I manage this, I don't get access to the big picture. And then decide one day, I'm going to go to that advisor meeting and I'm going to see what it's all about. And the conversation stays compartmentalized to only investments or, you know, just the financial piece of it. My encouragement is for women to step up, to say, hey, how does this connect to this desire that we have as a family? How does this connect to my kids? Like women tend to be, I mean, this is a stereotype, so it doesn't apply all places, but we just tend to be such comprehensive thinkers <laughs> and so like how does this tie to that tie to that tie to that and yeah. a good advisor can help you tie those pieces together and will stay in the conversation long enough and not just keep it as an investment conversation like we yeah. have access women have access to ask the questions and have it framed in a way that makes sense so that they can grow just alongside with their partner this is really a, a call for encouragement and support for women to ask the questions that they need to ask in the planning conversation. And if they're not being seen in their planning conversations, it's time to find a new financial planner, point blank, from my perspective. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Even if it's not like framed out as a financial question, like, hey, my kid has special needs. How are we planning to address that? I see. That's the, to me, money touches every part of life. If you're trying to plan for your special needs kid or your gifted and talented kid or your average kid, heavens forbid there are a few average kids out there, uh-huh. um, you know, we're trying to allocate resources for them. Uh-huh. And we're, you know, I think I was talking with another planner recently. And I said, one of those things that we're trying to do as planners is trying to smooth out the experience of money over the lifespan. We're wanting to help you think about today, next year five years from now and 20, 30 years from now. Uh And ideally kind of your next generation, which, you know, is that fun part I imagine for you is as clients enter that decumulation phase, you're starting to talk about, well, what's the pace? What's legacy Uh do you want to leave for your family? How's the right way to share the information with the next generation? Uh, You know, I mean, then we could do a whole nother podcast on intergenerational wealth transfer and family communication. That's, I said that as a mouthful. Let me slow it down and say that again. When mom and dad pass money to the next to their kids, is the very simple term, right? I I went sorry. I went in my very academic language. So this this has been such an incredible conversation. Uh, from my perspective, yes, you belong. You're in my little yeah. community. Um, I <laughs> love finding other financial planners that think like me, but are not my echo chamber. Hopefully. You know, diversity of thought, yeah. but like, yeah, we're all into this. Kind yeah, of yeah, totally. Deeper stuff. So, um, wow. So as we wrap this up, what's, what's something that stands out to you from our conversation today? What stands out to me? I mean, a lot does. And I, like a lot of different images came to mind, but that, that image of the pinprick and the vision growing. Yes. I love that. 
that came that I hadn't thought of that thought before. And um, I like that image as the torch for <laughs> your listeners to consider in their next week of like, what makes me really happy? What am I building mm. in my life? What can I do that starts making that pinprick grow into this giant beam of light? Uh, because I have it that when we allow ourselves that, that we are better humans. Like we bring our highest and best contribution to the table. And what a gift. You know, it reminds me of that. I'm just thinking about it for the first time. But I'm, in this conversation, it's, what's that old children's song? That little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it little... shine, that little light of mine. And I think it comes out of Christian, Christianity. And this is not about oh, one religion or another. But I think universally we say when we can see the light inside of you, and that's what uh-huh. we're inviting people to is, what would light you up just even a little bit more? Maybe you can't uh-huh. imagine all the darkness gone right now, but can you get, if you're in complete darkness, can you put a pinprick in it and get a little uh-huh. light shining through? And we're going to start there and just, and your smile right now, listeners, if, I hope you can feel Liz's smile as we wrap this up because it is it's bright and glorious. So Liz, I look forward to many more future conversations and I hope you'll be a guest again in the future on the podcast. I'd love it. This was a real treat for me too. I've got tears in my eyes and I just, I love that image that you closed us out with. So thanks. Awesome. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, It will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.